might have picked up on a theme this morning. Uh, a lot of songs and Kyle's song and and uh, the clip we just saw and some of Josh on, on on the subject of serving. And that might be interesting if you know that our we're in a series on spiritual gifts. And we're into the second week, and we still haven't talked about spiritual gifts, and we won't this morning yet either, except for walking around. But here's the reason why. Uh, as we began to, to dig into a little bit last week, for spiritual gifts to have the impact they're supposed to have on us, uh, as the ones who have been given the gift by God and on others, it, it's all wrapped up in serving. In fact, we... We uh, will see even more as we as we dig through today's passage and then, then on into it in the future that, you know, this is, it's a gift to us. And one of the things we talked about, we learned last week just in, in talking about this theme is when you became a follower of Christ, if you made the decision to accept that, that gift of forgiveness, that restoration of relationship that, that God was offering, that's what he's offering. It's, it's, it's really, it's not about religion, never has been. Uh, it is about a relationship that God wants to have with you because he loves you. He loves you so much, he wants not only to have a relationship, but he wants to adopt you into his family. And and that all happens when you understand that there's a break in the relationship and that God has done what's necessary to restore it by f- offering you and I forgiveness of sins. And that's why Christ died on the cross, was to pay the payment for for the sin so we could be forgiven. And so once that happens, though, a number of other things happen. Uh, like I said, you're adopted into his family. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives within you. Uh, and, uh, and, and a number of things we could walk through. Uh, but one, one of the things is, he says that at that moment, you're given a, a special gift, and maybe gifts. But, but those are not primarily for your personal benefit or my personal benefit. They're, they're primarily to be used to touch other lives, uh, now, in the, 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 the cool thing about it is as we do that, we get blessed. That's just the way it happens. Uh, but before you can even get into that discussion, there is a perspective of who we are that we need to grab onto or we will never, we'll never really understand a couple of things. We'll never really understand what God has in mind for us, uh, and, and that will show up in today's passage. We, we also will never really get to see the amazing things that God has in mind to do through us, things that we never imagined. Uh, and, and some of you could give testimony of, of how, after becoming a believer, you, you, uh, you, you sense God giving you a passion in a, in a certain direction to, to, to do something, and you're thinking, you got, a, you got the wrong guy. But it was so strong that you had to follow through, and then he, he did something amazing through you that you had no idea he could, would, could ever be accomplished. And that's, I believe, the spiritual gift that you've seen it in action. So, but some things got to, the stage has to be set, some things have to be settled before God can do what he wants to do through us. And we, we looked at one of them last week. We looked at that word serve, this whole idea of serving. And, and, uh, and remember, we talked about that. We, uh, I, I said that the, our English translations picked a word that was more palatable to us, the word servant. And we can deal with that word because, you know, like I said, we think of Alfred and Batman or, or Alice back on the Brady Bunch, or you can remember that, you know, Alice who's smarter than everybody else in the family, but, but she's the one that kind of keeps things together and she's the servant, but she really keeps it. If it wasn't for her, it'd fall apart. Uh, and, and so we look at that and that's our image and we think, oh, that's, I kind of, I can do that. 
but we discovered that really the word is slave. And, and even looked at the, the definition from the lexicon that, it, that it's the lowest of slaves. And, and, that was, and that was Paul's perspective of himself. That was Peter's perspective of himself. As I, I'm a slave of a master, and my master is Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, it was interesting, one of the verses we looked at, Paul introduces himself as, I am Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So he says, I have this special ministry, this special gift that God has given me to use in my, as I go out and share the good news in the world as an apostle. But before that, my identity is I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And, and I know that that word has, has really difficult connotations for us to wrestle with, and rightfully so. But in the midst of, of this situation as a slave of Jesus Christ, you couldn't have a better master. And, and then we also balance it out because then we, we, we hear Paul calling himself a slave of Jesus Christ. We have Peter doing that and the other followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ. And then God comes out and says through Paul that you are no longer my servants, my slaves, you're my children. And so we had that balanced out where God's perspective of us is you're my child. And, and in fact, I have an inheritance for you that you will share with my son Jesus. But then we have Paul saying, yes, and that's true. And, but my perspective as I'm on planet earth is I'm a slave. I want to serve my master. I want him to be, I don't want to be about my own business. I want to be about his interests and not mine. And this morning we want to look at a little bit of a different uh, perspective of, that we need to have. Uh, and to kind of set the stage, you know, I, I share with you a couple of weeks ago that uh, when I was a, a junior in high school, we moved. Uh, my father's ministry moved us uh, out of to several states away from California to Colorado. And, you know, just a, a little background. This was not an unusual one. I've shared this. Uh, my dad was, uh, I, I've told you, he was, uh, he just had, he gravitated towards struggling churches. That's just where his heart was. And so he would, he would head into a struggling church and build it up to the point where we're self-supporting, self, and, uh, and then he would move somewhere else. That just was the, the where, where his heart was. And so I can remember, we, we, we could kind of tell the, 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 the realization that that was about to happen was when my dad would say, hey, after school today or something along this line, we're going to have a family meeting. And so we all knew what that meant. And I remember about a, a quarter of a way through my junior year, that dad says, hey, we need to have a family meeting tonight. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I, and I told you, I just got my class ring. Uh, and so I'm thinking, no, this can't, you can't be doing this to me. And sure enough, he gathers us together and he says, you know, there's this, we're out in California now, and a church that my father had actually started, and, and, uh, and it was just really doing well. And he says, that, you know, there's a, there's a little church in Colorado that, just has gone through some really rough times, and they're they are really close to closing their doors, and so we're going to move there and try to help this church out. and And uh, and I remember, uh, just I did not want to do that, but but I remember we so we moved there, and and I remember my first day of high school. Okay, and so you know we we get moved in, and then Monday comes, and so probably my daddy takes me into school to register me, and. We're in there registering, and kids are coming in and out, and the halls are filling up, and 
And, uh, you know, I hear a bell ring, and I know what that means. If some of you know where I'm going, that means that I'm probably, I'm going to, when I do get to my first class, I'm going to walk in in front of everybody. They're already going to be in class, which you thought, uh, for high school, that's the worst thing that can happen to you. And so finally we get registered, and, and the, uh, whoever the one was behind the desk, get, she gives me this map of the school, and the slip, and a number on it. It's my locker, locker with my locker combination, and says, uh, you know, go, go take your stuff and put it in their locker, and and then go to your first class. Well, I walk out, and I'm thinking, I have no clue where to start. I, I have no, I don't know where this locker is, and so I'm wandering around. I finally find my locker, and and then I'm there, and I'm trying to get it to open, and I can't get the combination to work. I had that dream. I dreamed about that probably till about a decade ago where I'm there and I'm trying to unlock it, you know, and I know class has already started and, and uh, you know, and so, so I'm there and I am so frustrated, almost to tears and just, you know, I don't know anybody and people have been walking by me and nobody's offered to help and, and I'm just beside myself. And about that time, uh, this man, one of the teachers at school named Mr. Curtis noticed me and he walked over and he said, uh, son, he said, is everything okay? And I gathered myself and I said, uh, well, I'm new today, and I'm trying to get my locker open, and I don't know where my class is, first class is, and I went through the whole, just spelled it all out, because all inside me, he said, okay, he said, well, let me help you, let's work on your locker first, and we messed with it, and he got it working for me, and he says, let me see your schedule, and showed me, got the schedule, and he says, okay, he says, let's, we won't go to your first class yet, I'll take you in a little bit, but let me show you where your other classrooms are first, so he walked me around the school and showed me where every classroom was. And then took me back to the one that was my starting one and walked me in the door, walked me up to the teacher, introduced me, and then found me a desk, and I went and sat down, and he left. Well, I didn't know it, but when I got to my third period class, there was Mr. Curtis. He was the teacher of that class. And, And it was civics. And I want you to know, I had no interest whatsoever in civics. But I got a really good grade in that class. Why was that? Because Mr. Curtis took the time to show a little lost high schooler a little bit of kindness and really go above and beyond what he had to do. When nobody else did, Mr. Curtis stepped in there and he said, "Ah, I'm going to help this young man. I found out later he was a, a Jesus follower, so that probably had something to do with it. But I wanted to please that guy. I, I didn't care if the subject was boring as I'll get out. I was going to please that man. And so I worked hard in that class. And the reason I tell you that story is because it fits into where we're going this morning. This is a passage we've looked at before, but it, it's got to be one of, the, one of my favorite two verses in the Bible. Also one of the ones that challenged me to the core of who I am, which it should, because that's what it's talking about, is the core of who we are. Paul wrote this. Remember, Paul, uh, one of the followers of Jesus Christ, one of the individuals that that God used to spread his good news, the good news about this restored relationship that he was offering, the forgiveness he was offering. And so, so Paul writes this to a church in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And, and in his letters, are, are, they're pretty predictable. Usually in the beginning of his letters, and he wrote a number of them, they're, they're filled with what we call doctrine. You know, and, and sometimes we hear that word and we yawn. Just the word makes us yawn. But, but it's stuff that we need to know about God and, and who He is in and, and relation to us. And, and, and it's not boring. In fact, if you, if, you, if you go get to, in your devices or on your Bibles, you want to get to Romans chapter 12. Uh, because right at 
chapter 11, he just finished this section where it's the doctrine, the just this, these truths about God, about us, and, and our relationship that we need to know. And, and he ends chapter 11 by saying, man, this stuff is, out. this is my, my uh, translation, this stuff is amazing. It's, it's beyond understanding. We can't even comprehend it, but it's magnificent, magnificent information. And then he turns the corner, and always this is pretty predictable in his, in his letters. He'll say, now, what is this truth supposed to do in our practical everyday living, and that's what he does. And as he begins chapter 12, that's what he's doing. He's saying, okay, let me tell you how this information should impact you now as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he starts with this statement. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, a living, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, I read a quote uh, uh, recently in light, in light of this verse, and he says, the only problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And I don't know about you, but that's true in my life. You know, even a given day, I can say, all right, God, I'm yours. You know, I, I want my life to be about you today. And then two hours later, something comes up, and it's like, hold that thought. I'll be back. You know, well, I, I, I kind of want to do this first. And, and so... That is a struggle we have, but here's what's, what is pretty amazing to me. So, so Paul starts this conversation, and he says, in view of, uh, of what God has done for you, he says, I'm going to urge you. And, and this, you know, as we think and we talk bits and pieces about God's heart for us and, and what he's done for us and his, his desire to have a relationship with us, even though we didn't desire it with him and, and that he took on himself all the cost of restoring that relationship. And so all those things are involved in this. And, and, you know, and then Paul says, and this is God directing him to write this. He says, I want to urge you to do something. What's amazing to me is that he's actually allowing us to make a decision about this. He's actually saying, you know, this isn't my demand, but here's God's heart for you. Is he, he, he urges you to in view of God's mercy in your life, which is where he goes next, respond by offering yourselves to him. Uh, Making your life, uh, as he calls in a moment, a living sacrifice. But this word mercy is an interesting word. Here's the the dictionary's uh, definition of it, and it's very biblical in its definition. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it is within one's power to punish or harm. Now, now there's a lot. That, first of all, one of the statements that is so true about that is, when we're talking about God's mercy, the, real, the, the reality is we should face the wrath of God. Our, our sin is an affront to God, and rightfully what should happen to us is his wrath, his judgment. And he has the power to do that, and yet he has chosen not to. And you remember about a year ago, we were studying the life of, of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. And remember, he got into that position. Here his brothers did cruel hatred. In fact, they were going to kill him. They would have killed him, but then they had a better idea. Let's make some money off him. So they sell their own brother into slavery. And, and then years passed by, and with, when, without them realizing it, the brother has survived, and not only survived because of God's blessing, he now has got to a position where he is the second most powerful individual in the world at that time because Egyptian was the main power. 
And, and so he's second to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And now they're in front of him, not knowing it's him. And, and you remember the story. Uh, and, and so they come before him. They need food. They need help. And they don't realize that they're standing before this man who they've done tremendous things against, who has now in his power the ability to say, you're dead, you're done. Or, or at least I'm going to imprison you for the rest of your life for what you've done. And yet he doesn't. Instead, he shows mercy. Now, that's what we're talking about here. And so Paul says, have, once we come to understand the mercy of God... It should drive us in a direction. It, it should cause us to give ourselves to him as, as a living sacrifice. Put ourselves on this altar that says, God, I am yours. I don't want the, any part of who I am to not be about you. I want it all to be about you. Because I just, I, as I understand, as I begin to understand what you've done on my behalf, I can't help but respond that way. Can't help but just want to serve you. In fact, he says, he goes on, he says, that's what worship looks like. You know, you, you know, say, well, wait a minute. I, I thought worship was, you know, we come to church and, and we, we sing some songs and maybe pray together a little bit and, and uh, we try to stay awake during the message because that's... You know, I don't want Paul to see me sleeping. Uh, and and, and that, I thought that was worship. And he says, no, this, this, is, well, this is worship. Your life lived out because of the understanding of the mercy of God and, and this desire that, God, I want to be about you. That's worship. Now, that heart for worship should happen here, too. That I come here not from the perspective of man. I hope Josh picks songs that I know this morning because those last few songs he's picked, I, I don't get them. I, I hope, you know, I hope Paul's ex- a little bit interesting today because I really am, a, I had a rough night. You know, he says, no, we come with this perspective of God. I, I want to be with you today and, and help my heart to be there. And so, so he says, that's, that's what genuine worship is. But now he goes another direction, and this is where we're, we're really, and you're going to see in a moment, I'll tie it into to this whole spiritual gift study we're going to be into, but he says, in fact, this is such a big deal that it should cause within us a, a whole new perspective of who we even are. A new identity is, is, should be the response of our realization of how much mercy God has shown us and allowing us to be in a relationship with him. And so he goes on in verse 2 now, and he says, So don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So he says, here, something's got to change here. And he says, here, here's where we start. As you take on this new identity, you've got to begin by starting to think differently. In fact, his description of this is, you've got to get this point where you no longer conform to the pattern of the world. Well, what does that mean? What, what is the pattern of this world? Well, I'm sure if I were to, to take the time, some of you have some ideas of what that means. You know, you, you'd have some pretty good clues of thinking what like the world thinks is, here's what it is, here, here's the direction it is. Uh, but 
I want to take us back to a, another passage that, that uh, for a few moments. We looked at this one a while back too, but go to Luke chapter 12 if you have your Bibles or your devices. And, and let's, I want to look, I'm going to focus on a, a kind of this middle passage, but I want to look at the bookends first because in this section of Scripture, I think Jesus talking to his followers gives a pretty good idea of, okay, some, I, some, some of what the pattern of this world, that type of thinking looks like. And so I want to I start up uh, Luke chapter 12, and let's start with uh, verses 4 through verse 12. And, and so he's, he's talking to them, he says, uh, starting with verse 4, I tell you, friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Now, let me pause there because right away some of you are saying, oh, I thought that was settled. I, you know, I, when, I became a, when I accepted that gift, I thought hell was not no, no longer in the equation. It isn't, and that's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, is we're now talking, the individual we're talking about is the one who has the power of life and death, the power of hell, separation from God, which is what that means, or, or being gathered to God for, for eternity. And so he's saying, understand who we're talking about. He's not saying, which would be contrary to the rest of the word of God, he's not saying there's still that risk for you if you're a follower of Christ, because there's not. In fact, he goes on, he says, here's God's heart for you. Uh, go on now. Uh, verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. That's not as hard to count as for us, some of us, as a, some of you. So there's a few of us where that's been pretty easy. Now, now the, the hairs on your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledged me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before angels of God. But who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And you can read on down there. So he says, here, you know, here's part, let me give you a uh, perspective of what, the pattern of this world thinking is, and this, and this is what we got to start to renew our thinking on. He says, it's, you know, we're, we got to make a decision. Who are we most concerned about pleasing in this life? I've got to make that decision. And there are a round range of answers that you and I might have to that question. It could be, you know, well, my boss at work, I'm pretty concerned that I keep him happy. And, or it could be, you know, wife, my, my husband. It could be, you know, my, the buddies I hang with. It, it, some, for some, it's my children, you know, because, man, if they aren't happy, then things fall apart around here. So he says, you've got to make a decision about this. Or the way he put it there, who am I most fearful of displeasing? Is it, is it someone who maybe perhaps could do physical harm to me or emotional harm? Which is, which is real pain, uh, or, or can make life pretty miserable, if nothing else. Is that, is that where, I, where my fear lies most? You know, one of the things that, that it is so dissatisfying, I think, about the political realm today is that that seems to be what, the way our politicians run things. It's, wonder, oh, okay, that's what they all want. Let's go that direction. And you sit there once in a while, you say, man, have some backbone. Stand up for what's right, regardless of what it might cost you. And, and so, so that's the question. Or am I most concerned about pleasing who, who, someone who actually has the context of eternity, who actually created me for a purpose, who's already told me that he will take care of me, 
who has my very best interest at heart, even though I don't even understand what that means sometimes. So, so who am I most concerned about pleasing? Because the pattern of this world is there's all kinds of answers to that question. And he says, we've got to renew our thinking about this. I've got to get to the point where my biggest concern is, God, I want you to be pleased with my life. And not just Sunday morning, but every day, every moment. That's, that is what I, drives me is I want my, my God to look at me and say, hey, well done. Well done. But the reality is, here's the problem, I think. It's that this is more real than that is. You know, we look at eternity as something, well, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of iffy, I don't know. This is real, you know, this is bricks and mortar and, and paychecks and, and uh, you know, that, this is reality. And God say, no, you're, you're, you're so mistaken. This is, this is all temporary. You know, we, as Andrew said, we've been, we're talking as, as elders, we're trying to, f- to figure out the, the best direction to go to use our resources to, to continue to minister as God wants us to minister. But, but the reality is, you know, as we talk about this building and those kind of things, someday none of this will be here. It's all going to be gone. And so, so we have to get things in the right place and recognize, am I going to give everything about who I am to something that is temporary? That's the pattern of the world thinking. That feels the most real to us sometimes. Or am I going to ruin my thinking and start thinking in terms of eternity? A God who has my whole eternity in mind. And am I going to live to please him? We've got to renew our way of thinking, he says. And, and then he goes on. Then the second part of this, this book in now, I'll jump down to the same chapter, but down to the end there. And again, I'm not going to read all this, but starting with uh, verse 22. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and body, more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. In fact, jump down to verse 21 where he kind of put together. Because here's the question. Verse 31, I'm sorry. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. And so he says, here's another aspect of this. What is it that's got your worry, your concern? Are, are you, what is it that is wrapped, you're wrapped around right now? Is it, is it the, you know, the bills, the mortgage, the, the making sure there's food on the table, making sure that, you know, I, I, my clothes are somewhat up to date? Uh, is it, what, what is it? Or, or is it this God, this king, that you say is your king? And, and if it is that king, then recognize this. If you seek his kingdom, he, he will take care of the other things. So I've got to decide whether I trust or who or what I'm going to trust my life with, my well-being. Am I going to trust God? And, and so I'm going to serve him first, knowing that his promise is to take care of the other things, which my natural instinct is the self-preservation, or, or am I going to just take care of myself? If I seek his kingdom, he says, I'll, I'll take care of the other things. Now, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying, okay, I want you, everybody go home, go home, Monday morning, quit your jobs. That, in fact, he, he says, you know, there's all kinds of words. He says, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, you know, that a man should take care of his family, or 
A man or woman should take care of their family. In fact, a guy, a guy who doesn't take responsibility to try to take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. And another place in Thessalonians, right, he says, if a, if a person doesn't work, then don't give them food. Okay, there's a little wisdom there. You know, and, and he's so, so it's not that perspective, but it's, it's the perspective of God. Whatever I do, I do with the, with the, from the perspective of I want to serve my king well. And if I do that, you're gonna, you're gonna, I don't need to worry about these other things. You're going to take care of them. And so then he comes, and those both book in a story that we actually looked at uh, a number of months ago. Remember the guy who had the, re- the farmer, and he just had a, he had a, a bumper crop season. Remember that passage right in the center of this section we just looked at? And so he has this bumper crop season, best harvest he'd ever had. I mean, he is set up. This one harvest has set him up for the rest of his life. In fact, that's his perspective. He says, you know, I, I got all this. I better do something. So what I need to do is I need to go out and build bigger barns because uh, I'm going to need to set this aside. He says, I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He says, wonderful. I am set. Finally, you got. I got everything I need for just a, a really... You know, good retirement. And God says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Well, why is he a fool? Was he uh, a fool because... And what was it that put him in odds with God? Was he a fool because he had an abundant harvest? God gave him that harvest or it wouldn't happen. Was he a fool because of his vocation? No, in fact, God loves farmers. He uses them for illustrations all the time because they're, they're a good illustration of individuals who have to rely on God's decisions. And, and, and so there's a lot of wisdom there. Was he a fool because he was wealthy, you know, and, and God's obviously against wealth? No, that, that was God's will for him. Here's the problem. He was a fool because he thought like the rest of the world thought. His perspective is, I've got this. It's got to be for me. And God says, you're a fool because whether you realize it or not, and if you had talked to me, I could have let you know, but whether you realize it or not, this very day your life ends. You don't need any of that because you're done today. You know, uh, some of you you will remember the name Larry Burkett. Larry Burkett was a... A financial advisor, Christian financial advisor for a number of years. Still, his stuff, his, his material is really good. And Mary Lou and I actually, early in our marriage, had the opportunity to sit down with him. He was speaking at a conference we attended in the mountains of Colorado and got to sit with him. And as we're heading into ministry, just to get some some ideas from him, some perspective of what to do, what not to do. And Well, a number of years after that, if you remember, uh, he... Uh, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, battled it, went into remission, then returned and, and actually eventually took his life. And not long after he got the diagnosis, though, he was, he was doing an interview one day on a radio station, and, and the man who was, was doing the interview with him asked him this question. He said, okay, he says, Larry, now that you've been diagnosed with cancer, what's changed in your thinking? Here is his answer. I stopped worrying about his retirement. Actually, he and and I he would say this too. He he never had to worry about retirement. 
you and I don't either. And we don't need to worry about all these things that we are. If we're seeking the kingdom, if our, if our first thought is, I want to serve the king well, because he said he's got that other stuff covered. Doesn't mean I won't work hard. No, I'm supposed to work hard, and you're supposed to work hard. And, and, and there will be times where we're going to you know, figure out which bills to pay. Those kind of things happen. But he says, I'm going to take care of you. But first of all, you've got to quit thinking like the world. We've got to quit thinking like the world. We've got to recognize that my new position, my new perspective of myself is that based on the mercy of God, I know he has my best interests at heart, and so I am first and foremost his. I will serve the king. That requires a renewing of the mind. A different perspective, a whole different viewpoint of what's important and what life is all about. And that's what he's asking us to do. And here's what he says. Until we do that, the problem is, number one, we struggle with even stepping into that offering plate. Remember last year, week's conversation because we don't really know the master. But we don't really know God's will either. You know, I, that's, if there's a question I've been answered, asked the most over my years of ministry, it's that, how do, how do I know the will of God? And, and he says, well, first of all, make me king. I'm not trying to hide that from you. Make me king, and, and then, then you'll be able to approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So how does all of this feel, fit up in our conversation then about gifts? Well, notice where he goes in Romans 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. This is what this is about. Until we have this perspective, until we understand who we are, till we renew our thinking and no longer think like the world, till we understand that he's my king, he's who I'm serving, he says, you can't really understand spiritual gifts. And that's why we started there. So there's some questions we need to ask ourselves in preparation for next week, if the Lord allows us to go on into this study. What's going to be my pattern for living? What am I going to worship? What, what altar am I on here? If I'm to be honest with myself, what altar am I on with my life? What or who am I serving? These need to be determined. And I, and I would pray as you move into this week, Lord, give me indications of which, what life my altar is on because I want it to be about you. Because I want to get the experience, to understand, to get the opportunity to do things on your behalf with the spiritual gift that, that we're talking about that I never would be allowed to do until I get that perspective on myself. So let's start there as we dig into this subject, this wonderful subject of these very special spiritual gifts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I say it's amazing, it shouldn't be, but... You know our hearts. You know where the battlefield is. You know that this is a big issue for us. Getting a, a, a perspective that's an eternal one, that's, that's wrapped up in serving you as our king and, and doing what pleases you because of what that means for our eternity instead of this 
pattern of the world, which is all about here and now, and what's in my best interest. That's that's a whole nother perspective, and and that's a challenge for us. We we understand that, and you and you've already said unless we come to terms with your mercy and really grab on to what what your heart is for us, we won't really ever be able to respond by placing ourselves on the, the altar of you as our king. So help us wrestle through this and, and come out on the right side of this question so that we can serve you well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.